This podcast contains our own personal views not associated with any organisation. Cronial contains descriptions of death in quests that may be graphic and disturbing to some listeners. Discretion is advised. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Coronial. I'm Alice. I'm Emma. And I'm Georgie. Today, we're going to be talking about the inquest into the deaths of Kerry Ann Pike, Peter Michael Dawson, and Tobias John Turner. Kerry, Peter, and Toby died while skydiving on Friday the 13th of October 2017 in Mission Beach, which is in far north Queensland. The inquest was held as it relates to public health and safety. And the coroner also wanted to determine how to prevent deaths happening in similar circumstances in the future. All three skydivers lived in Mission Beach and were well known to the area. Peter and Toby were friends and colleagues at Skydive Mission Beach, and Kerry and Peter were also friends. Oh. I don't know why I just assumed that therefore Kerry and Toby were friends, but it doesn't specifically say that. Okay. Peter was a licensed parachutist and had instructor ratings and endorsements. He had completed 7,731 jumps, of which about 5,000 of these were tandem jumps. He had passed the examination requirements to hold the higher instructor qualification of Instructor C in September 2017, so um, a month before. Toby was also a licensed parachutist and had instructor ratings and endorsements. He had completed about 8,000 jumps, of which about 5,000 were tandem. And can I just clarify, none of us have been skydiving, right? No. No. And none of us really plan to go skydiving. No. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I was like, especially not after this. <laughs> yeah. Well, meh. I'll come back to that point in a second. But like 7,000 mm-hmm. jumps. Mm-hmm. That is so many. I don't know. I was just like, have you put an extra zero? Yeah. Is this, are you sure? Especially because like a lot of the qualifications and whatever, like jump up by. 100 jumps in terms of the way that they rate for what kind of driver you are and so i was like seven thousand. that's so many mm. but i guess if you're doing it on a daily basis and you're tandem jumping as and an instructor multiple times a day yeah that adds up really quickly yeah it's a lot but it just terrifies me it just yeah. gives me like heart palpitations <laughs> yeah i wonder if by like your six thousand five hundredth jump whether you still get that adrenaline rush before you jump yeah or surely you would though because yeah. it's such a high adrenaline activity like yeah like, surely you don't, you don't that is a lot that that's a lot like especially if you're doing four five six jumps in a day yeah true it just becomes like like would it not just be like your regular job or <laughs> yeah yeah fair i don't know that's a lot of jumps. once you yeah. have done seven thousand just get back to me and let me know yeah yeah oh, i'm ne- not even gonna do one <laughs> <laughs> so i'm good yeah but coming back to your point of like, and this would mean that you never would want to. So this one for me felt different in terms of we've read a lot of or presented to each other a lot of cases that you go through and you're like, yeah, this was inevitable. Like yeah. this many things went wrong, were going wrong, could have gone wrong, systemic issues that yes, they all needed to line up, but there was some foresight into that actually happening. Whereas this one for me very much was just like so unbelievable in terms of the exact timing that this had to have occurred to get to that that didn't seem quite as obviously likely to occur to me. Mm. Yeah. Thoughts? 
Oh. Or there are enough like sort of things, little no. things here that you like. I think there's only one thing that yeah. we'll talk about that I'm yeah. like, you could have prevented that. Yeah. The but rest the chance of, it, of yeah. that happening yeah. in that exact moment leading to all three of these people mm. passing, just like. Because yeah. reality is if that one thing happened because it was more inevitable at some point, like. It yeah. could have the happened other thing, it could have happened at a different time and they yeah. would have yeah. all been alive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah. just, yeah. So for me, it did seem less systemic. Mm. Yeah. Certainly, definitely, like, there's recommendations and absolutely things, most activities can be improved when you take this kind of super fine type approach mm. to going through how they're doing things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is a high-risk activity, though. Yeah, true. Like comparatively to the other inquests that we've looked at where people are doing some high risk, but most of the time Regular a lot less things. high risk than this. Yeah. So some, I know, assumption of something bad or catastrophic or... Could happen, yeah. yeah. So talking about that, I don't know if you guys noticed in there, one of the national safety and training managers of the Australian Parachuting Federation yep. prepared a fatality report for this inquest. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned that he'd investigated 14 previous fatalities over 25 years. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, it's a high-risk sport. It's not happening all the time or every year, but it certainly... There's always the risk. And I'm sure, yeah. as none of us have been skydiving, but I'm sure when you go skydiving, one of the first things you do is sign a waiver. Yes. And I talk Absolutely. about waivers. <laughs> That's going to be one of the first things you sign and it's going to have death on there. Yeah. Yes. All right. Sorry to have interrupted. Let us turn the Kerry was a mother of eight and her husband had bought her the skydive for her 54th birthday. He was on the beach with one of their children that day to watch the skydive. Kerry was doing a tandem dive that day with Peter as her instructor, so she was strapped to his front. Toby had also worked that day but was doing a private solo skydive at the time of the accident. A skydive employee packed the parachutes for Peter and Kerry, as was standard process, and Toby packed his own parachute, as was standard for people who used their own personal parachutes when doing jumps. There were seven people, so three tandems and one camera operator, who exited the plane first and completed their skydive without incident. Peter and Kerry exited the plane 1.2 seconds before Toby. And that sounded like it was a fairly standard time frame between mm. jumps. I think there was a usually a bit more of a delay, but they had made a plan. Mm. To sorry, jump yeah, stand, together. Jump together stand to... if they're all working together. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Peter and Kerry's drogue parachute deployed a short time after they exited the plane as planned. So the drogue is used in tandem skydiving to reduce the terminal velocity of the jumpers since there are two people and only one main parachute to slow them down. Yeah, and this that definitely got me that I had to read that a few times to be yeah. like, sorry, what is this? But yeah. I had to Google it. Peter was wearing an altimeter, which measures altitude. This showed that their skydive occurred at 3.09 p.m. The jumpers left the plane at 14,100 feet, which is 4,297 meters, and they were in free fall for 70 seconds. At 40 seconds... When they were at 7,500 feet, or 2,286 metres, their speed increased and peaked at 482 kilometres per hour. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Absolutely not. Yep. And that indicates an impact of some kind changing their speed. Yep. Right. 
they sped up because that drug wasn't effective anymore. Yeah, something yeah. happened and that increased their speed. Yeah. Likely an impact. Yeah. Their freefall ended at 1,400 feet or 426 metres, where the descent rate slowed until they landed at 180 seconds. Peter was also wearing a GoPro, which showed that 19 seconds after they exited the plane, Toby approached them and shook their hands. And that's called relative work in the skydiving world. And then he moved away at 24 seconds. There was then an uneventful free fall until the video stops at 36.2 seconds. Peter's best friend, also a tandem instructor, witnessed the accident from his backyard because he lived quite close to the drop zone. Sorry, can I just go back a second? And you said the GoPro stopped at 32 seconds? 36.2 seconds. But it took 180 seconds to land? Yes, correct. Okay, yeah. So it was, what is that, a sixth of the way? Yeah, it was Sorry? It was very shortly yeah, after to, yeah. Sorry. leaving the plane. He saw the drogue appear at about 5,000 feet, and then he saw a reserve parachute come out. He then saw another jumper falling away, and the jumper with the drogue got very low without the main parachute out. He saw the reserve parachute of the jumper with the drogue open around 1,100 feet, which he immediately thought was because of the automatic activation device. Mm-hmm. He then looked up and saw the first parachute and noticed that it had two parachutes open, which is not normal. Yeah. You would only normally only have one parachute out. And you said this was Peter's best friend? Yes. I bet he wouldn't have known that was specifically no, them at this he, point because it's too far away. Yeah, yeah correct. Okay. He couldn't see yeah, who yeah. it was. He just saw that and he assumed that the person with the drogue was a tandem because that's, that's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. But also, like, what a skill to be able to be like, there, you know, how mm. many feet in the air. I can't tell, like, I can tell you what five metres is. <laughs> true, <laughs> true. true. Distance, so. I would assume this person is involved in the skydiving industry yeah, as well. he's also a tandem yeah. instructor. So he yeah. would have known what point the... Yeah. AAD and would he, fire. Yeah, of course. And he would have known this is weird. Yeah. This yeah. is not normal. Yeah. yeah. Versus any other onlooker like us being like, look, they're having a great time. Yeah. No. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Toby's reserve parachute looked fully inflated, while his main parachute was partially inflated. It didn't seem that there was any control input to the parachutes, and at least one witness described him as motionless, like a rag doll on descent. That would have been horrible. Mm, there yeah. are a lot of witnesses to mm. this mm-hmm. or people who were there to help once they arrived at the ground. And yeah, yeah it sounds really horrible. Mm. And especially because a lot of them were colleagues. Yeah, true. They all clearly were around yeah. and involved. It's hard to know like, were there many other onlookers that weren't yeah. necessarily related to the skydiving industry because it sounds like then those that were related to the skydiving industry were then involved in the inquest about how many other people were there. That yeah, worked. that would have just come mm. across that, yeah. Yeah. Peter and Kerry's reserve parachute deployed at 1,900 feet, which is 580 metres, because the automatic activation device was triggered. So this is a safety mechanism for when the user has not opened the parachute or the parachute is malfunctioning and not slowing them at the correct rate. It's used to open the reserve parachute at a preset altitude if the descent rate exceeds a preset activation speed. Their main parachute was not deployed at all, so it was only the reserve that slowed them down. So, fun facts, side note, I recently read a book, and this is why I kind of semi got interested in this story. It's called The Girl Who Fell from the Sky oh, or yes. something yep, like I've that. I've heard about that. Skydiving accident. 
Yeah, so her accident was the tandem diver forgot to wear whatever altitude meter thing that tells you where you are and when you're meant to pull your main chute. Uh-huh. So then, again, same situation like this where all things had to have aligned in that one millisecond, happened to pull the main at the same time that the reserve was ejected by that AAD. And so, therefore, they got tangled as they came out because yeah. they both deployed at the exact same time, oh. which is just like chances of that happening yeah. are like so ridiculous. And so they free fell because their parachutes were tangled and she lived. That's terrifying. He lived too, which is just like mm, crazy amazing. to me. Is that a real story? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. She has a book. That's insane. She was overseas as well at the time. Like She's Australian. Yeah. Mm. And she was overseas. I think she was traveling. But yeah, good book if you're interested. After the jumps, Toby was found at 134 Alexander Avenue and Peter and Kerry were found at 138 Alexander Avenue. This was about 1.5 kilometres northwest of the intended drop zone. I did find it kind of amazing that they were so close together, mm. considering they impacted I, and they and they, their parachutes were out at different times. But I guess were they like, tangled? How tangled were they though? I don't think they were they tangled. No, I don't think no. Toby's weren't necessarily tangled. Yeah, fair. Then yes, I am surprised. Surprised. Yeah, but just the fact they that they were so close together. But I guess the wind was the same for both of them. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's just But still, like, there's a tandem, so a different weight. Mm. And their parachute their parachute was so late. Out, yeah. Toby's. Yeah. They were on a drogue, but I guess there were two of them, and the point of the drogue is to get that velocity yeah, presumably to similar the to the same. Mm. Yep. So there's one person. Yes. Mm. Peter's best friend went to look for the people involved in that accident because he knew something had gone wrong but didn't know what had happened or who was involved. When he saw Toby being attended to by other people, he went to look for the tandem skydivers because he knew they would be somewhere. He found a white reserve parachute draped over a tree and was the first to arrive at Peter and Kerry. He tried to free them for about five minutes until other people from his work arrived to help. That's right, because they were like in the tree, right? Yeah, I don't think they were like right at the top of it, but they were sort of the parachute was caught in the tree, tree so they had them. to be unhooked from it. Toby was declared deceased by a Queensland Ambulance Service paramedic at 3.21pm and Kerry and Peter were declared deceased by the same paramedic at 3.35pm and 3.40pm respectively. And I believe that that paramedic was the only paramedic on scene for a period of time. time. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. like they were first to arrive and the difference in time frames there is just him travelling from one of the four houses away from each other. Autopsies revealed that Peter, Kerry and Toby all sustained significant head and neck injuries as a result of a collision. Expert witnesses stated at the inquest that it's likely that all three died immediately on collision. Toxicology of the three showed that Peter had a small amount of nordiazepam in his blood and Toby had a trace level of the inactive metabolite of tetrahydrocannabinol, THC, the active ingredient of cannabis. Peter's nordiazepam indicated previous exposure to Valium at least two days before his death, which would not have impacted him at the time of the accident. And similarly, Toby's trace level of THC was below the limit of reliable and quantifiable detection of that laboratory that did the testing. It indicated that Toby had been exposed to cannabis at some point before his death, 
but this could have been passive exposure and would not have affected him at all at the time of the accident. Yeah, sounds like at the very least it was several days before. Yeah. Or not even him in, himself. And exactly. like One would hope if you are working as an active skydiving instructor, you are not showing up with like actively yes. having used marijuana. Yeah. So and Yeah, it doesn't look like he... And yeah, there's no evidence that he was either. Like, yeah. yeah. So I think that I, yeah, that bit for me was like, eh. Yeah, it's interesting, but it didn't have any impact. They had to. Yeah. But yeah. So the Australian Parachuting Federation, the APF, had to stop myself from writing AFP every (laughs) single time. And if I say AFP, please feel free to remind me that it's not the federal police, it is the Parachuting Federation. (laughs) So the Australian Parachuting Federation, the APF, were involved in the investigation as experts on skydiving and parachutes, since obviously the police don't have that much experience with this industry. No. They examined the parachutes of the three deceased to work out what happened. The tandem equipment used by Peter and Kerry was in good condition, and the reserve parachute had been deployed, likely by the automatic activation device, since the reserve handle showed no signs of having been pulled. Toby's main parachute showed significant damage in the centre. They also found that Toby's main parachute was very small for the deployment bag and there was very little tension on the closing loop of the bag. This was identified as the main issue and they concluded that the most likely scenario was that the wind had opened the pin cover, pulled the pin and deployed the parachute while Toby was directly underneath Peter and Kerry, which is what would have caused the damage to the centre of that parachute. Because it deployed into Carrie and Peter. Yes. Kind of. Yeah. Because his rate would have slowed when so the much. parachute yeah. deployed and they were Fair, still okay, falling, yeah, they yeah, would yeah, have fallen through. It didn't hit them as it deployed. Fair. No, yeah, it okay. was deployed and then they fell came through it. Yeah. The manufacturer of the parachute was contacted and advised that the main container was suitable for a 150 square feet parachute. With some adjustments to the main closing loop, This could allow a parachute as small as 135 square feet or as large as 170 square feet. Toby's parachute was 90 square feet. It did have cross bracing inside the canopy, which increases the volume, but likely only to about 107 square feet. So the parachute was too small for the container it was in. The APF concluded that Peter and Kerry collided with Toby as Toby's main parachute was prematurely deploying, causing damage to Toby's parachute. Peter and Kerry were in a belly-to-earth orientation, which is quite standard. Yeah, very normal for skydiving. Whereas Toby was in a back-to-earth orientation when his parachute deployed. This led to a 45-degree angle impact between Toby and Peter and Kerry, and it would have been essentially their faces colliding colliding and you said there were injuries were head and neck head and so, neck for all of them yeah so yeah essentially front on front impact for the two of them and toby yeah mm-hmm. toby's reserve parachute was deployed accidentally during the collision so it got bumped or whatever during that collision and that's what made it deploy, deploy. and it showed no signs of damage so that had clearly deployed after the collision yeah. had happened and again, with this, like, for me, I'm like, the chances of that happening mm, yeah. seem so low as well of, like, everything went wrong this day. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The CEO of Skydive Australia was interviewed as part of the inquest. 
And there are no current APF regulations in terms of horizontal separation between a tandem pair and a camera flyer. And the camera flyer is the person who goes along and films everyone's tandem skydives. So they have that footage. And it's recognized by the industry that part of the job of a camera fly is to get close to the tandem pair Mm. and possibly interact with them. So shake their hand. Which is exactly what Toby did, right? Exactly. So like there was a reason he was so close to them at a time point. Yeah. But he shouldn't necessarily have then ended up underneath. underneath them. Yeah. Yeah. You don't always have to have a camera flyer, right? No, you can just have someone doing a tandem jump by themselves. Because And even the other people that were on the plane, there were four tandems and one yeah. camera yeah. operator. So, yeah. yeah, it's never, oh, not necessarily a one-to-one. One, yeah. So the CEO stated that a new tandem camera flying procedure had been introduced, which includes acceptable flying positions for a camera flyer. It also says that a skydiver must have a D license, 200 jumps, before flying with a tandem pair, whereas the APF regulations say they must have a C license, which is 100 jumps. So their procedure is a little bit higher than the mm-hmm. regulations. But that had only been introduced since this. Since the accident, yeah. yeah. So before the inquest, but since the accident. Yeah. The company still allowed employees and contractors to do solo sport jumps if there was room on the plane, since it gives them a chance to improve their skills and get more jumps, and that way they can increase their level. They also release new sport gear check procedures that state that all sports equipment must be checked and signed off by an instructor every six months. The last thing I'll cover is that there are a few issues identified by Queensland police that needed to be considered in their mind as part of this inquest and investigation. The first thing was that they needed to understand pack volume manufacturer guidelines, specifically around the fact that Toby's parachute was too small for its container. And I think you touched on that, yeah? Yeah. 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 They also stated the APF should review their current regulations and develop a strategy to make sure individuals comply with manufacturers' recommendations, that the APF should implement a regulation around the inspection and certification of main parachutes, similar to a regulation that currently exists for reserve parachutes. They also said that the collision could have been avoided by making sure there was horizontal separation between tandem pairs and recreational skydivers. Which, like, there was a reasonable amount of separation. But not but horizontal separation. I just want there to be generally separation. Yes. Like, just I, don't in fly all near dimensions. Yes. <laughs> you don't want to be right next to each other, but you also don't want to be right on top of each other. But, like, forward and back. Three-dimensional Three-dimensional space. separation. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's called inceptive relative work, which we'll touch on. That increases that risk. Yeah, 100%. Yes. And then 200 kilometers an hour is a really, really fast speed when you're colliding with something. Yes. Yes. And look, and I think that concept of like, yeah, they were killed instantly. Yes. For me, was better than them than having the next 90 seconds or Mm. I think it was more than that, Mm. falling to their death as well. You know, because, yeah. like, the ground impact. No, they said that the damage of the tree wasn't bad enough. Yeah, they were still caught by their parachutes. Yeah. yeah. They were being slowed down. I don't think they landed super heavily. They did drift. So they didn't think they would have received any more injuries by, by where they fall. landed. Okay. So, yeah, if they hadn't collided with each other and that happened, even with the reserves and all that sort of stuff, Duff. they probably would have been, been okay. okay. Might have been yeah. injured, but. But, yeah, okay. Yeah. 
So next we're going to have a closer look into the circumstances of the deaths. So Alice did touch a little bit more high level on this, but we will go into a bit more detail. So in this section, the coroner mainly focused on Toby. And did any of you guys touch on, there was a lot of family involvement in this. Do you talk about Toby's family's opinion of this? No, Uh, there was none of that in your section. My section. Uh, So all three families were involved in the inquest and gave a lot of information and had various recommendations. But Toby's family were pretty, from what I gathered from the inquest, felt like a lot of blame was put on Toby in this mm-hmm. and kind of weren't of the opinion that that was accurate. They kind of were like, no, he wouldn't have ever done anything that put anyone in danger. He would have known what he was doing, mm-hmm. that he wouldn't have done that if it was incorrect. So that can't be the only reason. Yep, right. Was kind of the vibe I got from the sections that I was reading around that. Yeah. Which I think is fair in terms of no loved one wants to think that anyone was to blame but i also don't think that the coroner was necessarily blaming no because it's such a complex yeah situation in terms of the way the parachutes are packed which you're going to go into Mm -hmm. and so yeah i just found that interesting though but yeah there was a lot of family involvement Mm. all three families were seem to have a lot of involvement in this yeah and the path that i go through it's very factual like it tries to take out any of that emotion oh, yeah and i think the whole case absolutely was all yeah like but, that, it, but it sounds like there was a bit of family emotion yeah in the and that's right which is completely understandable but absolutely especially in this part even though it's focused on toby it's not as though there's a huge amount of blame that's not yeah. kind of the tone i guess I of it but it is just very factual yeah. about what happened and potentially toby's family got that impression from like maybe the questions the police were asking yeah. Like maybe it was just the investigation in general that in they that got that process, sense. process, you get yeah. worried. You get asked a lot of questions yeah. about would he normally do this? Did yeah. he know that this shouldn't have done? Yeah. yeah. I also wanted to flag that it was unanimously acknowledged by all of the witnesses to the inquest, those both who knew Toby and those who didn't, that Toby was professional and safety conscious when it came to parachuting. Yeah. So, yeah. Again, Even though there seems like there was that concern for blame mm-hmm. it doesn't seem at all right no, no like supported by anything that he did yeah that's right bye bye everyone bye it's just nothing anyone would have foreseen i don't think he would have been going in an upwards direction relative to the tandem pair who had not deployed their parachute The manufacturer's recommendations warned that packing the wrong size canopy into the racer could increase the likelihood of a premature pack opening. The final thing is whether Toby had any knowledge of the incompatibility of his container and parachute. The expert witnesses, when they were reading these operational regulations, had some varied understandings of what they actually meant or how to interpret those points. So, like, I can understand why Toby wasn't able to necessarily figure out whether his pack was compatible and that there's no regulation or requirement to notify if they've downsized or changed their equipment anyway in that canopy. That would have been the ideal time to pick up on the closing pin 
Yeah. So Carrie's family actually requested that solo sports divers be prohibited from undertaking relative work with tandem skydivers. You just don't want to get to a point where this becomes inaccessible. Like it just becomes too overly regulated. 